Welcome to the biggest thing to hit the financial advisory ESG community, environmental, social, and governance. I'm Jonathan Kavaznik, CHFC Wealth Advisor. With over 25 years advisory experience, I've been advising clients so they can make a positive global impact. Hello, and welcome to the ESG Players Podcast with your host, Jonathan Kavaznik, one of the leading ESG advisors in the country. Good morning. Catherine Hoffman is the CEO of the Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy. Catherine joined MCEA in 2010 as the staff attorney and works to support energy and mining issues. She was named executive director in January of 2017. A graduate of the University of Minnesota Law School, Catherine comes to MCEA with a background in complex litigation. In addition, Catherine holds a master's in public policy with a concentration in science, technology, and the environment from the Hubert H. Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs. Catherine also serves as adjunct faculty at the University of Minnesota Law School. Catherine, welcome to the ESG Players Podcast. Thank you so much, Becca. Glad to be here. So you have a mission that is that says, using law, science, and research to protect Minnesota's environment, its natural resources, and the health of its people. Can you explain that in a little bit more detail? Sure. MCEA was founded in 1974, and the people who founded the organization had the vision that the environment needs a good lawyer. Uh, so they were with political organizations, community organizations like Sierra Club, and said, you know what, we can get a lot done with people, but we could get more done with legal expertise. And since that time, we've grown. Um, we now have a team of six litigators. We also have scientists, uh, policy experts. We have a lobbyist. We have mapping specialists, all kinds of technical expertise. Um, and so our role within the environmental movement is to be the legal and technical expertise. So people need to understand the law. They need to understand legislative proposals that are being proposed. Uh, they need to understand rules or permits. Or they want to talk about how to advocate around these issues, how to effectively uh, push agencies or legislators for change. We're the ones who help provide that expertise. So maybe Catherine can tell us a little bit about some of the Minnesota issues environmentally that the organization needs to address. What would some of those be? Sure. So our lawyers and experts work in two main areas. One is climate and energy, and the other is water. So I'll talk about climate and energy first. This is especially timely because this morning um, you may have seen the United Nations released a report on climate change, really sounding the alarm on how quickly our planet is changing and how quickly we need to move in order to prevent the most catastrophic consequences of climate change. Um, our program works through the energy sector. Uh, so here in Minnesota, our utilities are heavily regulated, which means that all of their choices have to be uh, overseen by a board called the Public Utilities Commission. And the Public Utilities Commission, um, in order to really effectively advocate on many of their issues, you do need lawyers. Um, so our lawyers show up uh, every time the utilities want to um, make changes. So maybe they want to build a natural gas plant. Maybe they want to build more solar, more wind. Maybe they want to make um, a choice that is unfortunate for the environment, like they want to keep a coal plant around longer. So our lawyers get involved and advocate for quick retirement of coal, not replacing that with natural gas, because that's also a fossil fuel-based um, energy source that is 
not going to get us in the direction that we need to go on climate change and to push for more renewable and solar. And this program's been very successful. We have retirement dates scheduled for all of our coal plants here in Minnesota except for three. And those last three will all be on the docket in front of the Public Utilities Commission this year. So we'll have a chance to get, hopefully, retirement on those last three coal plants this year. So that's been a big focus of our program. And in Minnesota, we have a pretty good trajectory for a reduction of greenhouse gases in the energy sector. We also have a water quality program. The two biggest threats to water quality in Minnesota are agriculture and uh, sulfide mining proposals. So our agriculture, uh, you know, 40% of our waters here in Minnesota are polluted. Um, most of those are in southern Minnesota as a result of agricultural runoff. So we work with the Minnesota Department of Agriculture um, to encourage them to change the way that farms are regulated um, to decrease the amount of runoff that comes off their property. Um, some of that comes from nitrogen fertilizer. Some of it is just sediment. Um, some of it is from feedlots. Uh, the manure and the way that the manure is disposed of from feedlots. We have a fast-growing feedlot industry here in Minnesota. So there's, it's really important that we carefully regulate those um, industries. And then, of course, the last one is the sulfide mining proposals. Um, we have iron mining in Minnesota, but we also have copper-nickel deposits that have never been mined. Uh, but and there are proposals to mine them that are working their way uh, through our regulatory system right now. But copper nickel mining is a lot riskier than iron mining. It tends to have much more toxic byproducts. We really don't have examples of good, clean copper nickel mines. Um, so our organization is there to make sure that the agencies are holding these mining companies to the highest possible standards so that they don't result in pollution in Lake Superior and the Boundary Waters. So maybe you can just explain, because, of course, uh, those are three huge areas for Minnesota, agriculture, water, and it sounds like mining up in the Iron Range in northern Minnesota. When it comes to the agriculture, there seems to be a really huge tie-in, of course, environmental between um, the pollinators and the universities doing research and that. What are some of the techniques that we're wanting the farmers and the agriculture business to do to reduce the runoff? Is there... Can you talk about the techniques that they use? Like, what is the technique they could use to stop that? Sure. Um, there's a range of management practices that can be used on a farm in order to decrease the runoff. Um, so, for instance, one good thing to do is cover crops. Um, so in the off-season, when they're not growing corn or soybeans, you grow a different crop on the land. And that holds more of the soil on the land so that it doesn't run off into nearby lakes and rivers. That's one strategy. Another strategy is a holding pond, for instance, um, so that uh, as the water does drain off the land, um, then it, it's held in a, in a pond that the, the sediment settles off before the water comes out. That decreases sediment coming off the land as well. Um, you know, in general, in Minnesota, we're putting down uh, what's called drain pipe, uh, which is the pipe that goes underneath the agricultural land in order to encourage the water to run off a lot faster. We're doing that at a fairly alarming rate. And what happens is as the water comes off the land more quickly, um, it causes a lot more sediment and pollution to go into nearby lakes and rivers. So we need to think about other agricultural practices that don't need to, don't rely so much on drain pipe as a strategy. So would you say that the costs to the industries are what they really are pushing back on as opposed to their belief that they should be doing these things that are helping correct that or they just don't really necessarily see that that's an issue? 
when you get to like the mining industry saying, well, it's too expensive to do it, what you think is right, or right, the agriculture industry saying it'll cost us too much money to adjust, or is it just they don't really have the ability or the desire to make those changes, or is it a combination? It's probably a combination thereof. Um, you know, agricultural policy has a lot of forces pushing on it in the United States. Um, so, you know, we do have farmers that are struggling right now. And so anything that raises their cost, you know, is a concern to those farmers. Um, you know, we have a farm bill structure that really pushes corn and soybeans at the expense of other crops. Um, you know, other crops can be grown in... Um, more environmentally friendly ways, but they're not subsidized at the same level so that farmers don't have the same incentive to grow those. Um, and, you know, cover crops, of course, it costs money because you have to seed it. Um, and there are groups that are doing some good work on finding markets for those cover crops in order to create an economic incentive for farmers to use them. So, for example, uh, there's a group, there's a program called Forever Green at the University of Minnesota that's working on finding markets for cover crops. So it is, I think there is a matter of just finding the right economic incentives for farmers to have better practices. Uh, that's a really big part of it. <clears throat> Maybe tell us, how does your... Uh organization uh, get funded? Do you uh, raise your own money? Are you government funded? Do you just have uh, people who do it pro bono? How, how does that work as far as how your organization gets funding to do the work that you're trying to do? Sure. So we get funding from a few different sources. Our largest source is individual donations. So people like your listeners um, make a donation, whether it's big or small, everything is helpful in order for us to do our work. Um, and this is, this is the most powerful kind of money that we raise, the money from individuals, because it allows us to be flexible. As lawyers, one of the most important things that we can do is be there for a community when they need us. So I'll give an example. There's a um, feedlot proposal in Fillmore County. Uh, and this is, a, this is a huge hog uh, facility, would produce quite a lot of liquefied manure. Um, more, in fact, if you look at how much manure they would produce, the, this single facility would produce more, more manure than all of the people in all of Fillmore County. I mean, it's a huge impact. Um, and the folks there were very concerned about it, and they organized, and they came to a meeting, um, but they really didn't know what the next step was. They didn't, uh, they didn't know the permitting process. They didn't have legal representation, and so they asked us to work with them. So we're representing that group of um, people uh, pro bono to help them navigate this regulatory process and hopefully keep this feedlot from harming their water. But that's the kind of thing you can't plan for. You know, we just need to be there. And so when we can raise money from individuals to have our lawyers ready to help communities who have environmental needs, that's the most powerful thing that we can do. We also get about 40% of our funding from foundations, um, and we're very grateful for our foundation funding. Uh, it supports both our water quality and our energy program um, for the work that we can plan. So for instance, our work at the Public Utilities Commission, we know a year in advance what all that looks like, and the foundations will help us out making that happen. So the McKnight Foundation is a major funder, uh, Joyce. Uh, also the Mott Foundation, Quetico Superior Foundation, so we're very grateful to all of them. And then we do get a little bit of earned income. So as a legal organization, some groups are able to actually hire us. Many of them we do pro bono, but some of them are able to pay legal fees. And so a small bit of our income comes from that as well. 
Catherine, I'd like to know how you feel the millennial generation has been helpful with MCEA. Yeah, great question. So we have a um, group of millennials that are supporters of MCEA. We call them Regenerate MN, and they uh, plan a lot of their own events. So they'll have speakers come to breweries, things like that, um, and help us raise money and awareness about what we do. And it's incredibly important. I mean, first of all, we have a group, we have a a new generation coming up that I think sees environmental challenges much more clearly than previous generations. Um, they understand that climate change is real and that it's going to that it's already affecting their lives and it will affect the planet significantly in their lifetime. And so they much more naturally uh, make good choices in their lifestyle, and I think it's easy for them to support environmental organizations. So our Regenerate MN group has been uh, very active around uh, increasing awareness on environmental issues and hosting events for MCEA. Uh, Catherine, I would like to know, I think that you, you, so you have been with MCEA since 2010. Uh, I know you have been doing this work for years on top of that, but how much harder do you feel your job has gotten going from Obama to Trump? It has gotten harder. Um, you know, there was a time when we could rely on the EPA to be an ally, at least on some things. Um, so, for instance, we could um, call up the EPA and get their opinion on something. And if they and they were willing to weigh in on issues in Minnesota. So if there was a permit, for instance, being issued for a facility and we had concerns about the pollution from that facility, we could call up the EPA and say, hey, look at this permit. This is kind of a problem. And because they have responsibilities under the Clean Water Act, they would look at it too, and they might write a letter to our state saying, hey, you know, we think this permit could be a little bit stronger or should be stronger. All of that's gone. And so at this point, if we need federal enforcement of an environmental issue, we would have to go to court. MCA was made for these times in that sense. I mean, the lawyers have never been more important. And you see that not just environmental issues, but everywhere, right? We see that in immigration and free speech, lots of, lots of different places. It's not the best way to do business. We would rather not go to court. We would rather have... Um, a more cooperative approach where we can agree on how to enforce the law, but that's just not happening at this point. All of that said, we're really blessed in Minnesota. Um, we have great state agencies that are enforcing the law. Um, we have a governor who has stood up for environmental issues and vetoed a lot of bad bills that have come through the legislature over in recent years. Um, we have also a lot of great environmental organizations that are working together on advocacy. And so progress here is still happening. It's still possible. And uh, so as a state-level organization, we feel pretty good about um, the work that we're doing both on climate and on water quality. But losing that federal partner is a blow. Catherine, can you explain to us why lawyers matter? In order for a movement to be effective, you have to have a lot of pieces. You have to have... Uh, the social piece, you know, somebody who's spreading the word and getting people interested. You have to have the political piece, somebody who's putting pressure on politicians that this is an issue that they should care about. Um, and those are really important, and we have partner organizations that do those things. Um, but what we find is that when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of making the law, 
figuring out what the ordinance says, figuring out how what a facility actually needs to do in order to decrease its pollution, you have to have lawyers. You have to have that technical expertise because otherwise movements can be they can be scammed is really what it comes down to. I mean, you could write a law with major loopholes in it that looks like progress, but that's not progress. Or you could write a law, and then there's nobody there to enforce it. So one of the things that lawyers do really well is once the law is passed, well, what does it mean for implementation? Laws, statutes are very broad. You know, a statute might say something like, Minnesota uh, should decrease water pollution. Minnesota should have clean water. Very broad goal. Now what happens when you have an actual facility that wants to operate? What does it mean, clean water? How do you interpret that? And so then you have rules that the agencies implement. And they'll say things like, um, in order for this water to be clean, it can't have more than 10 milligrams per liter of X pollutant. And then that gets written into the permit. So the permit says this facility can't discharge more than this level of pollutant in order to keep the water clean. So there's lots of groups that are really important at the, at the let's keep water clean phase at the, stat, at the statutory level. MCA is really the group that stays there through implementation to make sure that that law becomes meaningful and real. And that's why you need lawyers. Awesome. Okay. Thank God for lawyers. <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Right? It will never end. We will always need lawyers for sure. As long as we obviously have these problems forever. Uh, Catherine, MCEA has a wonderful event coming up, Legally Green Gala. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. This is our annual fundraising gala. It's on October 25th. It's at 5.30 p.m. at University of St. Thomas here in St. Paul, a beautiful facility. And this is our biggest fundraising event of the year. And it's really important because, as I mentioned earlier, that individual fundraising is so powerful for us as an organization. It allows us to go out and really help the community in a very meaningful fashion. Um, and this event's going to be really fun. Uh, we're going to have a range of speakers talking about MCA's work and why it's important. So some of the communities that we've helped and have good stories about why MCA's help made the difference for what they were trying to achieve. So we'll have some of those folks coming and talking. Um, there'll be an opportunity to meet with all of our staff. One of the things I'm really proud of at MCEA is that we have a very deep staff. We have a lot of people who are experts and who have really interesting stories to tell about what's going on in Minnesota. So we'll have a chance to meet with all of those people. And then we're going to have a really fun after party. We'll have a, a youth quartet there from the Greater Twin Cities Youth Orchestra and uh, with co a cocktail reception. So we think it's going to be a really great time. We also have some great sponsors going in, including Bake Cherokee. We're very grateful for their support as well. So it should be a fun night. I really encourage everybody to go out. Um, if you are interested, you can purchase tickets at our website, which is www.mncenter.org. And that's also how you can get in touch with the Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy. Uh, and how you can give and help them. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today on the ESG Players Podcast. Well, thank you, Becca. Thank you too, Jonathan. Yes, thank yeah. you, Catherine. That thank was you. awesome. We appreciate you coming out. ESG Players Podcast can be found on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and many other platforms through the Backroom Studios 
That's Backroom Studios, S-T-E-W-D-I-O-S. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC, Jonathan B. Kovacnik, CHFC, registered representative, advisory services offered through Securities America Advisories, Inc., Cherokee Investment Services, Bank Cherokee, and Securities America are separate companies, not FDIC insured, no bank guarantees, may lose value, not insured by any government agency, not bank deposits.